All right, well, welcome to the podcast. My name is Richard McLean, and I'm Mike Goble, and this is Please Leave a Message. Doing all right. So, where is it? Where are you living now? Uh, Dallas, Texas. Dallas, Texas. I have fond memories of Texas. Oh, okay. Did, did you live in Texas before? I served my mission there. Oh, okay. Which uh, which city? I was in I was in the Fort Worth mission. Oh, okay. Well, that's not too far from here at all. Which at the time was like the entire west side of the state, huh. pretty much. So I spent time in Arlington, Denton, Lubbock, Hearst, Fort Worth a few times, and Monahans clear out in the west. Hey, no kidding. So 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 you were in Lubbock too, huh? Yeah. I was in Lubbock. Hey, that's great. Uh, I I lived in Lubbock for seven years before I moved to Dallas. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I've been uh, I've been in Texas for ten years now. Uh, ten years, ten years this summer. It's, How do you like it? Well, you know, I mean, um, it's it's far away from Utah and all my family. <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah, and so that's that's a challenge. But I mean, you know, people in Texas are really nice. I mean, you remember that? Oh heck yeah! But I'm sure it's pretty much like any other place, except it's warmer and and you know don't see very much snow and you know there's the occasional you know tornado warning here right. and there, stuff like that, right? But like I said, I'm sure you remember all that. So yes, indeed. So do you have a favorite barbecue place? Favorite barbecue place? You know, we don't eat out a lot. Barbecue barbecue is a real special thing, and I mean there was one place in Lubbock that I, I got some barbecue from my in-laws once when they came into town. But, uh, but you know, I'm not a big fan of barbecue, so it's, it's all about the same to me. <laughs> you live in Texas and you're not a big fan of barbecue. That's so well, sad. Well, I, 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 I can't really afford to be a big fan of barbecue because I just can't afford to go. I can't afford to go to the barbecue pit, you know. <laughs> well, you can do your own. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, uh, there was one place there that I really liked. It was Spring Creek Barbecue, I think. Huh. I liked it because they have fresh rolls that they would, you'd hear the oven ding, and then they'd bring out this big basket of just full of fresh rolls, and you can just take as many as you want. They'd literally walk them around all the tables. Huh, what, what, what sea was that in? Uh, it was in Fort Worth. Fort Worth? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, you know, the traffic around here is such that I only go places when I absolutely have to, and mo- most of my driving is just back and forth from work and home. <laughs> Oh, I understand that. I only work four miles from my house. Ah, yeah. So I don't do a whole lot of traveling. Yeah. So. yeah I, I, I live in Dallas. I work in Irving. Oh, okay. Irving's where our mission office was. Oh, okay. So. Yeah. So, well, that makes sense because Irving's right in between Dallas and, yeah. and Fort Worth there. I mean, I'm a cytotechnologist. That means I uh, I screen pap test with a microscope. Oh, okay. The physicians, they send cell samples to the laboratory. The lab staff puts them on a slide. They stain it, and then it lands on my desk, and I look at it, and I decide whether it's negative or abnormal. If it's negative, I'm not a high-risk case. I sign it out. But if I find abnormal cells on the slide, I use a little marking pen. I put a dot next to the group of cells that I think is abnormal. I write down what I think it is, and then I send it to a pathologist. So that's what I do all day long. Wow. My MP3 player comes in real handy. I bet. (laughs) Yeah. 
I just got uh, to um, keep away the boredom there. I just got a new uh, media player because my Zune finally gave up the ghost. Oh uh, yeah, I've I've gone through a lot of cheap MP3 players. You know how you know how the battery wears out after a couple of years. And right. I've gone through a whole lot of those, and uh, now I've kind of upgraded. It took me years to digitize all my records and tapes. I did that in anticipation of working a job like this, where I got to listen to music to stay sane. Right. Some announcements. The domain name got transferred back to me now, so I do own pleaseleavemessage.com. I have not yet figured out how to link the website to it, so I'm still working on that. But uh, things are progressing there, and we'll be back to the normal URL uh, probably within the next couple episodes. So currently, the podcast is at pleaseleavemessage.simplecast.fm. We can also listen to us on iTunes. You can listen to us on TuneIn. You can also listen to us Tuesdays at 6 o'clock p.m. at www.freeradioprovo.tk. Our phone number is 801-SKETCH-1. That's 801-753-8241. And right now we've been asking for gaming stories, short gaming stories, maybe three to five minutes or shorter. Nobody's called in on that, so I think I might be close to giving up on that one. If you don't have a good gaming story, I want you to call in with the strangest thing that's happened to you. So I, I have a feeling that a lot of people have got a good story about the strangest thing that's happened to them. Oh, and I wanted to give a shout out to Melba Toast, who has been commenting on the website. It's the first person that's commented on the website. The last two episodes, we've gotten comments from Melba Toast. So I just wanted to say hi, and thanks for being part of the community. that I found. Yeah, it looks pretty groovy to me. Pretty groovy, yeah. That's The Going Thing, 1970. And I just grabbed it because it looked horrible, to be honest with you. Oh, gosh, and, yeah. uh, <laughs> So I got it out when I got home, and I found this letter in it. So this is a letter, and it's got Ford letterhead that it's printed on. So it's from the Fleet and Leasing Office. And it says, Dear Sir, it was a pleasure having you as our guest at our 1970 Ford Fleet Preview in Las Vegas. As a memento, we are forwarding you the latest record album by The Going Thing, the group who so capably entertained you at one of our luncheons. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sincerely, Harrison Smith, Fleet and Leasing Sales Manager. Oh, okay. You, you must have a knack for finding stuff like that, huh? I, I like finding weird stuff like that. So, yeah. and this this one cracked me up. So this is like, this reminds me of the group that I sang in in junior high, where we would just sing medleys of songs and perform and dance to them. Ah, uh, yeah. So, but, but these are adults doing that for the Ford 
motor company. Well, you know, back then people could actually make a living doing that. <laughs> How much time do you spend in thrift shops looking for this stuff? You know what? I, I don't spend a lot. I just kind of have a knack, I guess. You know, I'm, I'm not really into finding weird stuff. I did find one cool thing years and years ago, and this actually came in handy just a couple of weeks ago. Years and years ago, I was at Starbound Records in West Valley, and I found Captured by Journey, their live album from, I think it was 1980. Okay. Now, I don't know if this originally came with the album or if it was just something that was stuck in there, but there was a poster, a little poster, and it was, you know, it was a 12-inch poster of uh, a picture of Greg Raleigh. And I looked at it a little closer, and I realized it was autographed, but it was hard to see because because it was black pen on a dark background. Oh, okay, but, yeah. But, you know, you, you hold it up to the light, you, you can see that it, it was autographed. And, uh, you know, years and years later, Santana gets into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and so suddenly this dollar record that I picked up at Starbound over 20 years ago, it now has a, an autograph with it from a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Nice. You know? A couple of weeks ago, my calling at church is with the Scouts. We had a little Cub Scout lesson on collections. And so I brought some examples from my record collection, showed them to the kids, and they were like, whoa, because they'd like never seen a record right. before, you know. <laughs> and, and I showed them this and explained to them how cool it was to have a record with an autograph from a member of, of a group that was in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you know. And they were like, whoa. <laughs> And, you know, so that that, that was kind of neat, you know. They were all, well, are those women? I'm like, no, they're guys with long hair. They're just rock stars, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So <laughs> it is, it, it, you know, it's just kind of interesting, you know, how, how, how the rising generation doesn't know anything about the old technology. Even the technology that was cutting edge when, when we were kids is now old, right. you know. Nobody uses CDs anymore, <laughs> you know? Yeah, my kids are kind of oddities because I've got, I've got records. I've got eight tracks. I've got reel-to-reels. I've got cassette tapes. I've got a working VH chess player <laughs> and we're low tech in my house we've tried to make the old technology last as long as it can so we don't have to buy the new technology you right know? i've still got some uh, i've still got my eight track tapes i don't play them anymore but i've still got my eight track player the good ones that i didn't already own on record or cd most of them i've digitized to tell you the truth i kind of just i collected eight tracks i collected a small collection of eight tracks when i was in high school because i thought it was i thought it was cool to to do something different because because it was old and nobody cared about it. Right. And that was actually the subject of the website that I made when I was in high school. It was called the Society for Unpopular Nostalgia. It was it was basically the Society for Creative Anachronism, except except it focused on eight track tapes instead. And but it wasn't it wasn't a real society. It was just me, you know. Right. And that that was actually the joke. It was a it was a one trick joke website where where it said you know click here if you want to join the Society for Unpopular Nostalgia. And so you click on it and says nope sorry we we've, we've reached our maximum membership of one person. A year or two ago I. Finally, took it down because I just, you know, I decided it was, it was, it just wasn't professional enough. <laughs> you know, it's just, it, you know, at this point in my life, I don't really want a website from high school hanging around. Right. I can yeah. understand that. But, uh, but this month, this month would have been the 20th anniversary of that website. All right, Mitch, thanks for coming down. Uh, and thanks for having me. Being on the, the podcast for the ITIC section. Uh, we call this ITIC because we ask everyone the same questions to find out what makes them tick. Tell us your name and what you do. Okay. My name is Mitch Parker. Yeah, I have a day job working for a, a concrete precast business. It's like a family business, really. But I don't really define myself by uh, what I do to pay the bills. Right. So that's uh, what I do for some of the day. And I always enjoyed drawing. Kind of feel like I have to because uh, I guess it's calming, whatever. 
I've just always done it. I make noise. I play a couple different instruments, I guess. Yeah, I've seen you play a few different things yeah. on your Instagram account. <laughs> and I remember one time you were like, where can somebody get a glockenspiel this time of night? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever find one? Uh, not any that were uh, under, you know, a few thousand dollars. Right. So currently working to convert my... Uh, bell kit you know little xylophone thing into a keyed thing using you know the basic dimensions of my toy piano okay that way i can uh key it and instead of using mallets i'm not very good with the mallets so that'll that, that'll be the closest thing i think i can get to a physical salsa i mean you can always do the sampled instruments but it's not as fun right right <laughs> tell us your earliest memory i'm not sure how old i was but I think I had to have been under two years old. Because I was in a high chair at dinner at my grandma's. We've always had dinner at my grandma's on Sundays. So, like, lots of aunts, uncles, and cousins. I was in a high chair. My cousin, who's a couple of months younger than me, was in a high chair right next to me. And all the adults at the table eating and talking. And I wanted some attention, because that's what little kids do. No one was paying attention to me. So I pushed my plate over to get someone to look at me. My plate, full of dinner, fell on the ground and shattered. Everyone stopped, just looked at me, and uh, at that point I started to cry because <laughs> that wasn't the attention I wanted, you know, judging from the looks on their faces. And that's my earliest memory. Awesome. <laughs> All right, so tell us a story from your childhood, something that's influenced your life, but maybe you haven't shared it often. Okay. I'm kind of uh, leery about birds. I used to mow my grandma's lawn when I was younger, preteens to through my, I guess through my early 20s, but anyway. So they had this tree on the border of my grandpa's property and the next door neighbor. This bird built a nest pretty low and far out on one of the branches. Really one of the stupidest places you could build a nest. <laughs> but I had to mow the lawn so I, you know, would go as close to it as I could. And it would jump out and like hiss at me had this angry look on its face. But, you know, I tried to let it know I was keeping my distance. Anyways, the weeks went on through summer. I, you know, once there were the birds, the baby birds hatched. It was a robin, by the way. Okay. Yeah, it started to get closer and, like, fly pretty close to my head, like, to warn me. But then got to a point where it actually tried attacking me. <laughs> and, you know, it had its talons oh, out, its eyes wide open, hissing at me. And, yeah, it... I've never seen such an angry look on a bird's face. It was, yeah, it didn't like me. Uh, yeah, now birds are kind of scary. And actually, it's not the only time I've been attacked by a bird, but it was the first time. <laughs> wow. So you're, you weren't surprised when you found out that dinosaurs became birds? Oh, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> it made, you know, perfect sense at that point. Okay. All right, share with us a piece of music that's been highly influential in your life. Mm. I mean, there, there are, are a lot, because I uh, love music and Certainly. spend a lot of time listening to music, but mostly uh, music in the pop format, I guess you would say. But I'd have to say one of the most influential, just mostly because when it came in, when I first heard it, was uh, a song by They Might Be Giants. Oh, the, nice. The Statue Got Me High. Oh, yes. So must have been around eight years old. Uh, my brother was always listening to the radio. You know, a lot of the music came across as really pretentious to me subject matter or the way it's presented mm -hmm. but uh when i heard that song it was kind of like a revelation because it's got it's funny on one level but you know structurally it's great and uh but you can tell from a lot of they might be giants music that they're having fun doing it right making it and uh it doesn't have to be so pretentious really right so to hear that was 
I guess, life-changing for me. <laughs> so my introduction to They Might Be Giants was my cousin uh, was telling me that my other cousin was telling him that this song had a bad word in it. Uh-huh. And he's like, but they're not saying that. He's like, oh, come, come listen to it. <laughs> so he takes me into his bedroom, and he's got this cassette tape, and it was a mixtape that my uncle had made for him, mm-hmm. and it was They Might Be Giants songs. And he put that on, and A, I had to confirm with him that no, they were not saying that word <laughs> that our other cousin was saying that they were saying, uh-huh. first of all. But second of all, it spoke to me immediately. Like, that music, like, to this day, they are my favorite band. Mm-hmm. I've got almost everything that they've ever put out. Um, I've been to more They Might Be Giants concerts than any other band. <laughs> yeah, they really speak to me. So that's, I, I, can, I can feel you there. <laughs> so share with us another piece of media that's been highly influential in your life. And this can be anything. It can be another song, a movie, cartoon, comic book, painting, video game, board game, okay. musical, whatever, whatever. Any kind of media, just something that's been influential to you. One that's been great, it was uh, The Neverhood. It's an old PC game. Did you ever play it? I have not heard okay. of that one. Uh, it's Doug Tenaple, also okay. responsible for it. I don't know it. who he is. Yeah, awesome artist. This game, it's a point-and-click adventure. Oh, I love this. Now, everybody knows him from Earthworm Jim. Earthworm Jim, yeah. Yeah, just... For those that may not have heard of him. Point and click adventure, those were great. Those were pretty popular in the nineties. It's all animated clay claymation, most people would put it. Stop motion with clay. Takes place in this weird self-contained world. You're just exploring it and making sense of it, you know, as you go. Mm-hmm. And I loved not so much into video games these days, but you know, I grew up obsessed with them. It was a video game that I love. It was a style that I loved because I was, you know, I loved Earthworm Jim. Everyone mm. did, <laughs> but also stop motion right. on a PC game, which that's kind of mind blowing. Yeah. So all those levels, and then awesome cinematics, great music, all these perfect factors at the perfect time to blow my mind at you know it's junior high Mm. when i played it my friend picked it up and there was a sequel on the playstation which uh it it was just like a side scroller uh platform wacky adventure so it didn't feel feel felt like it didn't have the same depth but uh yeah it's still awesome and has some great cutscenes between you know some levels and stuff so that's cool not very many people so far have brought up things that i haven't heard of oh really (laughs) tell us about your passion and why you do it okay my passion like i said i guess doodling (laughs) i I mean that that's how i phrase it some people would say you know i'm an artist but i don't know i don't really consider myself an artist per se that's funny because because honestly, at the comic jams, your style is one of the most defined ones. Mm. I mean, I can tell which ones you draw every uh-huh. time. And I, I like it. I really like your line weights and uh, just the way you your faces and that kind of stuff. I, I do really enjoy your style. Thank you. So, <laughs> anyway. Continue. Yeah. So, yeah, drawing has always been a big part of my life. So, and I guess I could call myself an artist, but it just always feels weird to say. <laughs> you, you don't want to be so pretentious as to say yeah. you're an artist. I See, that's the funny thing. I've always I've always considered myself an artist, but I never considered myself like a, a high artist. Uh-huh. I always have considered myself a commercial artist, mm-hmm. which is the looked upon, except guess who makes all the money in the world is <laughs> the commercial artists. They're uh-huh. the ones making money, you know. So I've always seen it as yeah let's let's make some bank on this Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that could be another aspect i haven't been able to profit from it much oh i haven't profited much from it i just really want to yeah (laughs) sure (laughs) all right mitch what makes you tick ah i mean i guess uh, a lot of things food water but uh 
Yeah, um, you know, I, I've got to say depression has been a big part of uh, who I am. I wasn't diagnosed until high school. Okay. And I, like, you know, got to a point where I had to have something happen to uh, be able to cope with the world. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's uh, something I've had to accept, and uh, now I guess I've embraced it in a way. Okay. But, uh, yeah, seeing, you know, a lot of my experiences and what has shaped me, uh, depression's definitely a big part of it. Your your sense of humor, I think, is fueled by that a little. Mm. So yeah, I can I can definitely see that. See, and and that's uh, and I I'm just gonna be honest with you here. Like I don't understand that so much. Mm-hmm. Like I've had my low moments, and I have days where I'm just in a funk, and I don't know why. Mm-hmm. But I don't understand that what that's like to have that kind of a diagnosis. It, I just I know a lot of people online that are that way and there's one guy that's particularly vocal about it and so I think a lot of what I do understand is from what he right. says um, but it's just one of those things that I I get it here uh-huh. in my brain but I don't quite yeah. understand and it. That's partly what makes it so frustrating to live with because I don't understand it myself but I obviously deal with it every day so you know a lot of what took me so long to get diagnosed was uh, you know first of all not wanting to admit to myself and therefore the world (laughs) that you know i've got some kind of problem right and then my parents i think had a similar stigma about it okay just you know whenever i'd go to them and say i had a problem they're like oh just keep your eye on it it's the phase or you know it'll go away or just whatever so is it is it where like you're having a you're just feeling that you're having a day like that do you mentally know that there's really no problem and you just don't understand yeah where the feeling's coming from yeah like, and I often have to step back, something I've had to learn to do, and make sense of it. You mm-hmm. know, like, why do I feel awful? You know, usually you, do, you don't really think about your emotions and separate yourself from them. All the time I'll be in a situation where I should be on top of the world, you know, or at least feeling positive. Mm-hmm. But I'll feel awful and, uh, yeah, just have to understand, no, you're just, it's just depression. <laughs> I th- okay, I, I think I do kind of understand, because I do have days where... Okay, usually if I'm, like, having a bad mood or something like that, Mm -hmm. I I know what it is. It's like, okay, I've got these bills that are looming. I've got this thing going on, and I can't resolve it right now. Mm -hmm. It bugs me for things to not be resolved. So those days I get. But then I do maybe every four to six months I have a day where I'm just in a funk mm-hmm. and there's really no reason so it's it's like that but like often yeah okay that would be frustrating as i'll get at because yeah. i and i can usually the way i cope it's i usually go okay i haven't been drawing enough or i haven't been doing uh audio stuff enough or you know usually mm-hmm. that's how i get out of it it's like okay that i, I blame it on that i'm like okay uh-huh. i'm feeling like this because i haven't been creatively getting right. myself out there and so that's how i cope with that feeling but again i don't get it all the time mm-hmm. i just like i said every, yeah. every few months or so yeah so i've been diagnosed with dysthymic depression okay uh there are you know different kinds of depression bipolar and you know, just general, whatever. Dysthymia, it's uh, pretty much my therapist, one therapist, (laughs) you know, you go through a lot, uh, described it as, you know, most people's base level goes like this with occasional ups and downs. Mm -hmm. My base level is significantly lower. (laughs) So I'm always feeling crummy and then there are ups and downs, but that also makes the downs that much deeper. So, you know, so I'm always, I guess, compared to 
<laughs> what's normal. Okay. Feeling pretty crummy. But at the same time, that's not how everyone else is feeling, and therefore not, you know, reality per se. It's my reality, though, so okay. I just have to deal with it the best I can. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for sharing that and uh, giving me some insight into that. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, as my life has progressed, uh, being open about it, I mean, it's a big part. I've had to accept it as... Right. You're like, that's who I am. Yeah. So I, I, I know people who are depressed in their 30s and still are not open about it, like ashamed of it. Being ashamed of it won't, I think it'll only make it worse. Yeah. It seems <laughs> so, like it would. So there you go. All right. Well, Mitch, if people want to see your work or hear your little songs, I don't know if you write longer songs. <laughs> I've, I've never heard a longer song from you. Yeah. I've, I, only, uh, I've only heard your little ditties that you play at the concrete yeah. factory. That, that's why I say, you know, I kind of just doodle sonically for the most part. I've uh, written full-length songs and uh, been in bands and stuff throughout the years, but... Uh, I don't put them out there as much okay. as songs. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, so if, if people want to see your work or contact you, how can they do that? Okay. Well, you know, there's general stuff on Instagram, like those little song bits mm-hmm. we were talking about. Just look me up at Fake Mitch on Instagram. I had a drawing blog. I don't think I've put anything on there in a couple of years. <laughs> there was MitchDraws.wordpress.com. Maybe I'll pick that up again sometime. <laughs> then there's a donutstell.tumblr.com. I've got stuff up there. We talked about it earlier with a few other artists so uh, that's fun you should just check it out for fun anyways it's a good story i've been reading it i'm a few behind i, I usually let a few pass before i <laughs> open it up and read them it's just more fun that way yeah so uh but yeah thanks thanks for being on the show yeah uh thanks for uh for coming down i really appreciate you being here thanks for having me all right so speaking of record collecting you told me that you kind of do your record collecting on a shoestring budget yeah <laughs> yeah that's exactly it you know four kids and a single income but i've always been on a shoestring budget so it's like when i was in high school the only music i could afford was was used records from thrift shops and the dollar section at starbound and then in college uh, we had the record collector in uh, sugar house right by westminster college where i went to school it was just i would find what i could you know when you pay a dollar for a record you get 10 songs for a dollar i mean who can beat that right and then all you got to do is go through the trouble of recording it onto your computer to put it on a cdr or or put it on your mp3 player you know of course in the early days i just make tapes off of them and I would then I'd play the tape to death. But uh, growing up, I mean, that was all I could afford. And so I was always retro just because that's all I could afford. Right. I noticed a few years ago that things had started to change and that suddenly it was getting harder and harder to find those cheap records. You know, the supply was going down. Right. And at the same time, records were getting cool again. You know? Yeah. Have you noticed that? Yeah. So I always had records. I had records when I was a kid. In fact, I've, I've still got all of them, all my little kiddie records with the stories. At some point when I was in, I think, junior high, my uncle said to me, hey, I've got this crate of records. Do you want it? And I said, yeah. So he brings over this grape crate, just packed full of records, and it's all like really great 70s stuff. I still haven't listened to all of it, and still once in a while I will discover something new in there that I've had all this time that I didn't even know was just like this great thing. And that's kind of where my record collection was for quite a while. And then I took a class in college on restoring audio, and that got me going back to thrift stores and record shops again. And I've got a little over a thousand records now. I've probably got between 100 and 
200 vinyl records, I think, and I've got a box full of cassette tapes and a box full of, and a great big old wallet of CDs and a, a box full of, a small box full of eight tracks, you know. The problem with the shoestring budget is, is you, you just can't make that big of a collection, you know. <laughs> There's something I noticed. Once vinyl became cool again, suddenly the remaining supply of good music that was on used records, the price ticked up all of a sudden, you know. Right. Suddenly something that used to be one or two dollars, it, it jumped up to five, six, seven dollars. And suddenly my desire to go look for new music or or at least complete the collections of my favorite artists on vinyl just died and I didn't really want to visit record stores anymore because you know the, the cheap stuff was gone but when the price ticked up after it became you know cool again it's kind of like gentrification of the used record market you know <laughs> that's the best way I can describe it is gentrification and really stuff that's really got no business being sold for a lot of money because you know it's scratched up it's beat up you know that the cover's worn all the stuff that they used to you know how you'd go to Starbound and they'd have a, the big sticker where they'd say the condition of this 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 and this right all that stuff is you know not in the best shape but they're selling it like it's worth something you know yeah but then again maybe it is worth something now because i'm sure that a lot of that surplus supply just wound up in the dumpster in the landfill you know and so now it's just not there anymore there was a story i read online about this guy he happened across these guys cleaning out a building uh one day and they were literally just dumping thousands of records in the trash and he's like can i go through these they're like you can but we're getting rid of everything so you just got to go through it now and he saved i think about fifty thousand records and no kidding yeah and and they just literally dumped the rest of it was it like some kind of a stash for a for some independent record some store, kind of a record some private yeah it was some kind of a, a record store and they'd gone out of business years ago and this this building was just chock full of them and they were selling the building and so they paid some crew to go through and just clean it out yeah but i mean but it makes sense i mean those record stores they built up an inventory of used stuff and when the demand went down they went out of business right i mean uh, i mean starbound was the perfect example of that you know all of us who grew up in the west side of the salt lake valley remember starbound you know I, and since since i i hardly ever get back to utah now that i'm in texas so i mean i don't know i don't know if the record collector in sugar house is still in in business or not i haven't heard of that one the one i like to go to is randy's records uh in downtown salt lake yeah and then there's, I've, I've heard of it there's there's a few other ones i like randy's because a few times a year he does a two dollar record sale so you just go over to his warehouse it's not even held at the store it's over in his warehouse and they just put out boxes and boxes and boxes of records and it's just two dollars each yeah and i'll spend literally all day just digging through it oh yeah it's uh well it kind of makes me wish i wish i lived in utah again but i'm sure there's stores around dallas that probably do something similar to that you know i just gotta go looking for them but i haven't you know because i've been so busy with my family and my work and all my other obligations you know maybe it's best that i don't have access to that stuff anymore because i just bought a toto tape online just last week and it's just been sitting there for days waiting for me to digitize it so i'm, I'm actually kind of glad that, that that stage in my life is mostly is mostly past now <laughs> when i go to those two dollar sales i spend at least fifty dollars and i put back as much as i buy so i spend all day digging through it and i get these huge piles of records and then i'm looking at it at the end of the day and i'm like i can't spend that much money on records and so i have to go through what i've pulled off the shelf and yeah. put, put half of it back um so i i can't hit every sale because if i hit every sale the floorboards in my office wouldn't be able to handle the weight oh yeah yeah and and, and of course uh you know there's no way that you can can humanly listen to all of it i mean i'm a completist for my favorite bands i understand that i've got like my top five favorite bands you know basically all the mainstream rock bands that were the most popular right around the year i was born kansas journey ario speedwagon sticks boston foreigner most of those bands i've got just about everything that they put out going back to the gentrification of vinyl 
even the new records that they put out today, it's, it's just not the same. Because back in the 70s and 80s, they would put them out as cheap as they could. So the, there was a certain weight to the record, right? There were the lightweight ones, there were the, the little bit heavier ones that were a little more expensive, right? And so my experience as a kid, it started with the DI because living in Magna, there was no record store in Magna. All we had was the DI. And so that's all I knew about. I didn't know about Starbound for the first couple of years when I was collecting records. And so whatever I found, I could find it at the DI, right? And I would find uh, a Kansas record and there was no internet, so I didn't know what records to look for. I pull it out and I see this ship going over the point of no return, you know? And I'm just like, wow, that is a really cool cover art. I hope this is a concept album, you know? Well, it turns out it wasn't a concept album, but the songs were really good anyway. And the cover art was still awesome. You know, and I had, I would have that experience of discovering an album I'd never seen before. And then when I finally discovered the local record store, I'd go to the record store and I could look through the whole collection. But of course, because they were selling them for eight or nine or 10, 12 bucks, I couldn't get it until I would find it in the in the dollar section, right. you know. And so, <laughs> but I would get these records, and you know, just the feel of that old record, that that lightweight, cheap record that was beat up. Uh, you can't get that anymore with records being cool, and most of the serious collectors being audiophiles. They want that, I think they call it 180 gram, yeah. 180 gram vinyl. It's heavy. It doesn't feel like a cheap old record. And in order to fit the whole CD on a record, they got to put it on uh, on two records now. And and so I bought the new Kansas album that came out just last September. It's called The Prelude Implicit. It's the one they did with their new lead singer after Steve Walsh retired. Uh-huh. And it was the first one they did in like 16 years because after the last one, Steve Walsh was like, no, I am not going to do another record. And so they waited 16 years. Finally, when he retired, they did a new record. Record. And it's, it's, it's pretty good stuff. But, you know, I sat down next to my turntable and, and I tried to relive that, you know, that experience that I had as a teenager of, of playing a, a new new thrift store record, you know. Right. But, but the experience is just not the same because it's this, it's this super high quality 180 gram vinyl, something that I would have never seen in, in, in the record store if it was one of their older records, you know. So, it's, so even the format itself has become gentrified, so to speak. I kind of specifically avoid that newer stuff. Hey, because it's just so much more expensive and B because when they reissue them they remaster them and they ruin them because they they bring the volume levels up to modern day volume levels and it just the dynamic range is gone ah uh, yeah so I, I specifically don't really buy the new stuff I've got I've got the new Santana record and I bought the Stranger Things soundtrack because it was just cool oh yeah yeah I mean uh, everybody talks about Stranger Things I, I don't have Netflix is it on Netflix it's on Netflix yeah yeah I, I don't have Netflix because like I said I'm on a type budget and the last thing i want to do is pay 10 bucks a month so that so that i can watch too much tv you know <laughs> but i agree with you on that point about the things being mastered differently i mean in the 80s nobody knew how to master a cd properly because they had all grown up mastering records and so you'd get this fingernails on a blackboard sound right but now it's the opposite now nobody knows how to master the vinyl <laughs> that's true now when they when they master the vinyl they're they're essentially just putting digitized music on the vinyl it's just like buying a cd it's not really different than buying the CD when you buy the vinyl. You're, you're getting basically the same thing. So yeah, new stuff, I don't really... I, I tend to not get new stuff on vinyl. Sometimes if I'm just feeling like it, but yeah. because it's, the mastering is different, I, I don't see in point in buying new stuff, but I definitely seek out the old stuff. Yeah. And it's it's funny, you talk about how the records, you know, even the scratched up ones end up getting sold at a higher price. I pulled one out 
this morning that I picked up at the thrift store the other day because I, I was looking for the found audio and so I uh, of course I have to dig through whatever vinyl they have uh-huh. and, and it's become really hit and miss sometimes you'll go in and it's just piles and piles of junk sometimes you'll go in and you'll get a stack of really good stuff and sometimes you'll go in and everything is just beat to heck and nothing's in the right sleeves and it's not even worth digging through but I found this one I pulled it out and I, I looked at it and I thought this is going to be rough it's it's probably going to have some skips it really did look rough oh yeah and surprisingly it played flawlessly I really like when that happens oh yeah that's that's that that's a lucky thing there you know because I mean I've got some records they look they look shiny but there's just you know one little nick in one spot you know or one 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 scratch on that on that shiny record and it, it just messes it up you know uh, yeah that's my uh my chariots of fire record had a it had a little nick in it that was so small you couldn't even see it but you couldn't even play the main title track which is the only reason i bought the record it would it would skip like a full minute into the song just right at the beginning oh yeah i've got that record by the way that's uh that was a thrift store find and i think it played okay but i don't listen to a lot of instrumental music though when i'm at work because it kind of puts you to sleep Uh, (laughs) i gotta have i gotta have pop music usually because oftentimes in a repetitive job like mine when i hear it change from one song to another it kind of cues me it back into reality thinking okay let's see i'm working at this speed i gotta speed up a little bit or you know usually it takes me about the same amount of time to screen a slide as it does to listen to a song so i'm like okay song's over i better get this finished up i've got a few instrumental things i've got some uh andy and folk music that i really enjoy i served my church mission in peru so i kind of got into a little bit of that music but but sometimes that stuff is hit and miss because oftentimes uh, folks in those poorer countries they don't necessarily have access to the best production values some of it sounds really good and some of it doesn't sound that good that issue with uh you get a record for one song and that one song is ruined because it got played a million times or it just got scratched in the one spot right i mean that's what happened to me with my copy of Foreigner's first album. I bought it just for the song Cold as Ice. Mm-hmm. And that's the one song that it just skips like crazy. And so instead, I've got a cassette tape made off of an 8-track. I just couldn't bring myself to spend the extra money on the remastered CD yet. I should have, but I just didn't have the extra cash on me at the time, you know. <laughs> but that's the way it goes. You know, sometimes your favorite stuff is just a really beat-up old thing. And that's just what you go with until you get around to buying the remastered CD, you know. Right. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you digitized all your analog stuff to listen to like that. I have not digitized a lot of my records. When I listen to records... I listen to records and when I listen to my digitized stuff it's mostly CDs that I've ripped and I'm such an audiophile audio snob really that I can't just rip an mp3 I have to have an uncompressed file format you know for me it's different because I'm hard of hearing you know I lost half of my hearing when I was six years old from ear infections and I've worn hearing aids since 1985 so lo-fi has never really been that big of a problem for me now when I got into the the hobby of recording my own music when I was in college, I was able to appreciate a good recording. I could tell when there was noise on a recording versus less noise, you know, cheap tape in the four track versus an expensive tape that was made for four tracks. And I could tell I was able to figure all that out and learned all that stuff when I learned how to record music. But when I'm just listening to music at work, I don't care because my attention is not on. I mean, I listen to one side in one ear while I've got my other ear clear with my hearing aid in so that if my boss comes by to tell me something, I can pay attention. Right. And that's just the way it goes. I mean, I don't have a decent car stereo because uh, it got stolen. This is Dallas, after all. <laughs> you know? <laughs> 
So I don't I don't have a decent stereo in my truck. So I don't bother with listen, listening to music really any other way now because when I'm at home, I just don't have time. You know, sometimes I listen to the left stereo side. Sometimes I listen to the right stereo side, but it's all through one ear while I'm working. And I don't really have it turned up very loud. Being half deaf means that it doesn't really matter to me. And sometimes just the memory of the song is better than hearing it in full <laughs> full stereo. For a while there, though, I mean, I remember one time I went to Media Play while it still existed, and I bought a DVD audio 5.1 surround of the new Styx album that had just come out. It was called Cyclorama. That was the first one they did without Dennis Young. And I had a 5.1 surround set up. I just sat there, and it was so cool to hear the different instruments coming out of the different speakers and having that surrounding experience. I've seen you talking on Facebook about all your quad records, right? Yep. I'm sure you kind of relish that retro surround sound experience, right? I am a surround sound junkie. I had a little bit of that experience. I mean, you know, with movies and concert DVDs and never was able to get into it because I just had other priorities at the time. In a parallel universe in some other different lifetime, I would have become a recording engineer if it were possible because that was really my passion when I was in college. I just loved doing that and I, I even recorded my own, you know, my own three song demo. I didn't write the songs. They were songs my brother had written, but it was actually a serious demo where I got my best microphones, the best recording environment possible, click track and everything, you know, thinking that somehow I would record an album someday. So I'm, I'm curious about this demo that you, you recorded. Do you still have that? Yeah, I do. Next to me, 
lets me know for myself that it was meant to be. Your eyes tell the whole story. It takes away my fears when it's your voice that I hear. But I see you standing there with a certain look in your eyes. When everyone else just turned and walked by, now I have found a place to run. With the wind in my hair, and you stand in there, baby. I have found a place to run. With a dream in my hand, and you understand in my heart. A place to run. A place to run. A place to run. Actually, there's a story with that song, too. Uh, when I first started dating my wife, I gave her my demo CD. And it was funny because I gave it to her as a birthday present on her birthday. We, we went out on a date. And then she dumped me that night right <laughs> when I, I gave her... Right when I gave her the CD, yeah, yeah, because cause I had fallen head, head over heels in love with her. And then I gave her the CD, you know, because she wasn't ready for it. <laughs> but then she listened to the CD later on and the song A Place to Run, that song was one of the things that started to change her mind about me. And so actually, my brother Rob, he wrote that song back in 1989. It was the last song that he ever did with a band. The first music I ever listened to as a teenager was my brother's band. And I just fell in love with that song when I heard it. And so years and years later, when I learned to play guitar, I, I worked up my own uh, arrangement of that and so that was the song that i that i demoed and who knows uh, maybe maybe someday a, a really good recording will get done with drums and real instruments and i think it would be a hit song but you know that's because i fell in love with the song when i was 14 years old so. right so uh thanks for being on the show hey uh, yeah I, I appreciate the opportunity this is the first time i've ever done anything like this oh it's it's been fun i've enjoyed uh the, our conversations fun, always fun to talk to another record collector especially somebody that's uh, you know doesn't have the money to be a record collector but does it anyway just like me yeah <laughs> All right. But hey, but yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's been great having you. Uh, remember, we're at please leave a message.simplecast.fm. We're also on iTunes and tuned in. And you can listen Tuesdays at www.freeradioprovo.tk. And again, we're asking for gaming stories or the strangest thing that happened to you. Call us at 801 Sketch 1. That's 801 753 8241. And thanks for listening.